Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. This is episode 34. I'm your host, Jamar. And today we're going to be interviewing Kirk H. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Jim. Doing well. So you're actually a published author of the book, Doing Dishes. So let's start with your life first, because um, I know the book has a lot of, to do with your personal life. Tell me a little bit about when you were young, growing up, you know, things like that. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a Catholic household. Um, I had, uh, I have a great mother and father. Um, they've stuck by me through everything. Uh, but, uh, they, uh, they gave, uh, me and my sister a good life. You know, um, we didn't really want for anything. Uh, we were both, I mean, I was very active in athletics all the way up through college. Um, so I would say I had a really good, uh, I had a really good system um, with my parents, uh, very supportive people. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough about them. They, uh, they've been my uh, rock my whole life. And so you had a good home life is uh, what it sounds like. How was it at school and stuff? How were school relationships and things like that? Uh, school was a little different. Um, I was born, you know, with a cleft palate. Uh, so sometimes I, uh, my words will come out a little slurry, but, uh, that's just because of, uh, I, I still need some work done yet. Um, but, uh, having that, you know, um, I look different from every other kid, you know, no kid, uh, looked like me and, um, I took a lot of, a lot of crap for that, you know, when I was young, uh, got it, got into quite a few fights, uh, you know, and, uh, it, uh, it really, uh, demoralized, you know, my, my self-esteem and how I looked at myself was, uh, not, not in a good way, you know, um, so these were physical fights. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, quite a few, you know, and, uh, you know, that, that didn't stop it, you know, even in high school, after I had numerous surgeries to, you know, help, help fix the issue. Um, you know, kids were just ruthless, you know, and uh, I, I got in a couple fights in high school that uh, they were pretty, you know, pretty legit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a shame because uh, I think that really uh, set the tone for for my entire life. To be honest with you, um, well, yeah, you're when you're young, it's kind of you're in the process of setting your own trajectory. Yeah, very much so, and uh, it, it was a poor one, you know. Um, so, you know, that being said, you know. Uh, I, I never, I didn't do well in school. You know, I wasn't a good student. Um, I didn't become a good student until college. And even in college, I, I struggled for the first uh, five or six uh, semesters. And it was uh, pretty poor. Um, I, uh, I went through a uh, an issue when I was uh, in grade school. Um, I, uh, I was a victim, you know, of uh, child, uh, 
sexual abuse. Um, and how, I, old were you, how old were you when that happened? I was 12 when it started. Uh, you know, um, that... Uh, Who was it? Well, <laughs> uh, let's just call it... Uh, he was a friend of the family, but okay. um, not anymore. Uh, okay. Um, you know, uh, it, it's something that, uh, you know, I didn't even tell my parents until probably five or six years ago. Um, and uh, I, I had a really hard time, you know, not only with my self-esteem issues, um, for a little while, you know, I didn't thought maybe I was gay. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was very, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't good. You know, I, I wanted out of everywhere at, at a young age. I mean, it sounds I was like you soft- were very confused. Yeah. I was, a. I mean, I was a sophomore in high school when, uh, you know, I, I first pulled a butcher knife out and I just wanted to start stabbing myself. And uh, a friend of mine called my parents who were out and they came home. And I, I don't know if anything was going to happen then, um, but uh, it's, that's where it kind of, I mean, my drinking and drug use stemmed a lot from that because I, I got to be a different person with a different crowd that um they didn't really care what how i looked or uh what happened you know they just looked at me as you know a friend because you know we hung out you know we smoked weed we you know did coke and mushrooms and you know uh drank all the time um, How old were you when this first started? Uh, I was 12 when I first started drinking. Um, so it was right around the time you were abused. Yeah, well, the person that abused me introduced me to alcohol. Okay. That's you know, uh, something you hear a lot, believe it or not. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. Um, and uh, it's really sad. Um, but... Um, you know, I was I was a good drinker uh, by the time I was fifteen. You know, um, I, I had I had bought my own car and I didn't even have a driver's license, and I could go down to the gas station and get beer. You know, or I had a friend that was older that could get it for me. You know, and it, it was uh, it was crazy, and it was all about trying to you know hide it, hide it from my parents, you know, hide it from anybody that could see me because, uh, you know, I didn't want them to see what was inside, you know? So it's, uh, you know, the only thing that I think saved me was athletics. Um, and I played baseball and I was a pitcher and I, I, I was angry, you know, when I played. Um, when a batter stepped into the plate, up to the plate, I I wanted to kill him by getting him out. You know, um, it made me good at the game. Uh, but that was my only release that I ever had, um, 
if I didn't have that, I probably would have had a much shorter life. Um, you know, uh, so it was like, that was your place to vent, yeah, to let it out. Yeah, it was my uh, place of therapy, I guess. Okay, call it. Um, you know, my dad, he he taught me very. He he was my teacher for athletics, and you know, he learned from my grandfather, and you know, uh, baseball was a huge part of uh, of. Um, growing up on my dad's side of the family um, you know uh i really enjoyed that part of my life um because i was better than the other people you know no one can say i look funny because you're sitting on the bench yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're so. um at the time was uh the abuse a one-time thing or were you going through the abuse while you you know that's what i'm trying to see is it that was your place to vent because that was still going on. Uh, it was still going on. Um, okay. Believe it or not, you know, it was one of my dad's best friends. Uh, and he was a coach with my dad, you know? Um, so I, I had to, I had to spend time with him away from the abuse part. Um, that must've been hard for you. It was very difficult, you know, it was difficult to, uh, to concentrate sometimes, you know, when, you know, anytime he ever said anything to me, you know, it was the middle finger back to him. Sorry about that. Um, oh, no, you are free to speak. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I never listened to anything he said, you know, I, I purposely ruined a baseball game just because my dad was the head coach and he was gone and this guy stepped in for him and I just didn't want him to win. So, you know, I gave up all the runs I could <laughs> just cause I, I, I hated him, you know, um, but I, I didn't know what to say. You know, my dad spent a lot of time with him, you know, drinking, um, you know, my dad and, uh, I wouldn't say really my mom, but, uh, you know, they drank, you know, um, there was parties that they would throw after a baseball tournament and, you know, there'd be eight or nine families with their kids, you know, on the team and we'd have a pool party and they would just get smoked and uh, we would just, you know, swim and eat pizza. And we thought, you know, they thought everything was great, you know, but, um, you know, I, I wish I would have said something to them then. You know, that's a, a regret that I, I have. Um, I don't live with that regret, though. One thing I've heard is some people, they had trouble going to tell someone because they thought maybe they wouldn't believe them. Yeah, uh, believe it or not, um, uh, my mom tried uh, sending me to a counselor. I think it lasted three sessions and... I said, I don't ever want to go back, you know, um, and that was it, you know, that was, it was over, you know. Is that because was, you were acting out as a child? Oh, yeah, I, I had terrible grades, fights. Um, I moved from one school, lasted a semester, and they politely told me not to come back. Um, 
So I went back to the other school and, you know, it was, uh, my, my parents, uh, they got a good, uh, they had a lot to do while I was a, while I was a student and grade school and high school, you know, they, you know, they, my uncle and had to pick me up from jail, you know, cause I was caught drinking in a hotel room. Um, you know, so they, I think they probably knew there was a problem, but at that time, you know, um, uh, it wasn't as prevalent because the internet wasn't there. Um, you know, now we have, like you said, you have what, uh, 1100 followers or 1400. Um, they, they didn't have that back then, you know, they didn't know that, uh, you could turn to the internet and give you 50 different options on how to help somebody. Um, so I think now we're, we're more fortunate that uh, we have some more resources um, to help people. I, uh, I just think uh, we're aiming in the wrong direction on a few things, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we will definitely get into a bunch of topics. So it was pretty rough going through all of that. At what point, like once you graduated high school, were you what point were you eventually uh, what, uh, getting away from the abuse? Or if, if that ever even happened, you know what I mean, up to a certain point or how long? Um, that, uh, that went on until I was a, a freshman in high school. And then okay. I was away from it uh, right. because I went to a, a high school, uh, you know, that it was a Catholic high school, which my mom wanted. And... Uh, the relationship with that guy and my father kind of distanced themselves a little bit because, you know, we weren't, you know, in little league and stuff anymore. So they weren't together all the time. Um, that's when that stopped. Um, we, I, I got away from it because my dad got a new job after I graduated high school and we moved two hours away or an hour and a half away. Uh, so I was like completely gone from that and, uh, which I was thankful for, you know, but, um, but I still brought everything with me, you know, um, the emotional baggage. Yeah. You know, I mean, you hear in meetings and everything, you can change, uh, your scenery, but you still got to bring yourself with you, you know, and, and that was, uh, that was, uh, you know, it was very hard, you know. Uh, they put me in a college right away. You know, I did very poorly because I never went to class. Instead, I found people that were drugging and uh, I spent my time hanging out with them. Uh, my uncle, who uh, helped me with the book, um, he actually gave me a job and he told me, you know, uh, that they would keep me at the job until I stopped school. Once I stopped school, then I had to go find somewhere else to work. So I just always stayed in school. I just didn't do very well. <laughs> you know, in college. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it took a, it took a couple of years before uh, a little light bulb went off and I was like, hey, I don't want to live like this anymore. Um, so I did well for a little while. Got back into baseball and uh, played college baseball. Um, actually graduated. Uh, you know, so there was a short period where things weren't as bad. Because um, I quit the drugs, I think that's why. I still drank all the time, but I, I quit, you know, the cocaine, the ecstasy that, you know, um, that what was age my, did you start the heart stuff. Um, I started experimenting with it when I was a sophomore, um, in college or high school now, high school, high school. Okay. So, uh, I had a, a small group of friends and, uh, that's all we did. We didn't care what day of the week it was. Um, we'd make up something to do just so we could go out and, you know, get messed up. Uh, um, for a while, my senior year in high school, I was getting messed up before I had to go to school. And then leaving at lunch with people and just doing it all over again. And, uh, I, I don't know how they didn't kick me out because <laughs> I, I was pretty lit for most of my high school, you know. Um, I, I don't remember a lot of it, uh, which is sad. Um, you know, there's people that uh, that I wish I would have uh, continued the relationship farther. Um, but the alcohol and drugs just wouldn't let me, you know. As you know, uh, it can be a very, uh, it can be a very lonesome place when you're an alcoholic. You know? As the perfect way of saying it, I, I once said to someone, drugs and alcohol and addiction is a lonely place to be. You're just, yeah. you just feel alone. And, and that's what I hear at like all the meetings that I go to. You know, that's the, the common theme I think I always hear is, you know, the, the upbringing and then, uh, you know, they got to a point where they were so alone that, you know, that what their bottom landed them at the meetings. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I, I go to speaker meetings a lot and I, I take notes sometimes in my head and then write it down afterwards. And there was a time I went for like a month and a half and every speaker every week had the same two things in common. And that was the upbringing. There was an issue and uh, they just drank themselves to a point where the only option left was to try AA uh, rehab, um, mental institutions. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's the two things that I've found. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, as you know, I do a lot of interviews for my book that's coming out and also for this. And that's a common theme, unfortunately, is childhood trauma. That's usually why I start the interview off that way, because most people have a story to tell about growing up. 
it's a shame it it is a shame and i wish um i wish uh schools and people that you know made decisions where money goes you know for schools would uh actually start to listen to you know people in aa and or people like in these groups you know if they want to they want to figure out you know how to help people so they don't wind up at the bottom um they, they need to do the research by going and, and meeting with the people that have been at the bottom and can tell their story and uh, help help them make a decision where money should go, resources. I mean, I, I think we should have a lot more resources, you know, in grade schools. Yeah, I mean, they did, um, when I was growing up, they did that drug abuse resistance education, the DARE yeah, program. DARE, yeah. But they really didn't do anything. I remember them coming in and just showing us what the drugs look like. They had like a big board for a display and they would show us what the different drugs look like. And all they did was tell us it was bad for you, but they gave you no education that was like, here, this is how you go about doing something. I don't know. And keep in mind, I'm not an expert in that field. It's not like I can figure out something to do, but I feel like they should have something more than that. So I feel like that was a failure. Oh, yeah. Uh, major failure, you know. Um, if you look at the numbers, you know. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I, I think that's, a, that's <clears throat> one of the worst programs that, that I think they ever put out there, you know. Yeah. If you're going to introduce kids to drugs like that, you got to gotta give them more than just, hey, here's a picture, you know. Um, there has to be more behind it. And I, I feel like... Uh, like if, if they could put more behind it, then I think they would have a lot better success uh, on the back end with people like us, you know, um, to try and lower that number, you know. Uh, it's not the drugs that are the problem, it's the way we go about treating the people that are on the drugs and, uh, and the alcohol, you know. Yeah, I mean, they usually first, depending on your age, turned into a legal or judicial thing versus a health aspect, you know, that saying this person's sick. And I've heard arguments saying you're technically, if you agree with that, or a lot of people do, you're arresting people simply for the fact that they're sick because they're doing the things that lead or that are part of the disease, obviously going to get your drug, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you hit that right on the head. I mean, they, they are sick, you know? And we don't help them, we incarcerate. Yeah, and that does nothing. If anything, it turns people into more of a criminal because I've heard people say that <laughs> it's like a college in there. Prison could be like, a, for somebody that doesn't know much, you learn so much while you're in there and you come out, maybe a different person and, and not for the better. So obviously that system is failing. Uh, big time. Um, you know, that's another thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have all these ideas in your head and you, you try to figure out, you know, how do I tell people these ideas if you think they're valid, you know? And then where would that idea even go to? Because we're so hell-bent on, you know, you got a DUI, you got two DUIs, now you're going to jail for a while. Yeah. yeah you know, I've sat in jail. I mean, 
it's not bad. You get to watch TV, you know, they feed you. You're talking with people like we're talking. You know, I mean, the only thing you can't do is you can't drink or, you, you know, you can't do drugs. Well, maybe you can. You know, I've I, I seen them, you know, make, a, you know, moonshine out of, out of the toilet, you know, um, and get messed up on it, you know. I had a friend that went away for two years and he actually didn't really do any drugs and he came out smoking weed, which isn't too bad, but it just goes to show you, like you said, you can get, I've heard you can get almost anything in there. Yeah. I mean, I, the one time I spent a little time in jail, uh, I was in there with the guy that, you know, he got arrested for moving. I think it was 600 and some odd pounds of cocaine or marijuana. And he knew he wasn't going anywhere, so he he just didn't care. I don't know how he was getting stuff in, but you know, they were smoking pot by using a pencil to light it off the electrical outlet. You can stick the, the lead in there, and it'll actually create a spark. I didn't know any of that crap until I until I actually saw it in jail. Wow, and, uh, never heard that before. No, and, and I've. I've always wanted to experiment at home and try it, but I'm afraid yeah. I'd burn the house down. Or get electrocuted. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, like, la- what landed you in jail? Uh, DUIs. DUIs? Yep. How many yep. before they, they, was it two or three? Uh, three, you know, was, uh, uh, that's when it really got rough because then you're labeled a felon. Um, I didn't know it was a felony. Yeah, well, I mean, in most states, it's three. I know in some states, it's two. And uh, they now, you know, they don't look at, uh, like, I got my first two DUIs, like, 2001, 2002, right out of uh, high school. And uh, then I didn't get another one until uh, 2015. But they went back to when I was, you know, a freshman in college and pulled those two DUIs and put them with that one in 2015. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're charging you with a felony. And, you know, um, for most people, that ruins their life. I mean, job-wise, I mean, there's that question on there. Have you ever committed a felony? You know? Yeah. Well, when I look at, when I look at resumes, when I used to, and I was in management myself for 15 years, um, once I saw that, I was like, no, you know, um, I just didn't want to bring that because I I thought, I didn't think I had a problem. I thought, you know, they had a problem. Yep. Uh, I say that all the time. We always, we all think we're different. We're I, I do this, but I'm not one of those for whatever reason. We always have a reason of why we're not them. Right. We think, we think, no, there's just something different about us. It's like, now I realize what a joke that is. We got to laugh about it now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's it's one hell of a thought process that you have when you're in it. You know? Yeah. You, you think, and then you think the people that aren't drinking or drugging, you know, you think they're, something's wrong with them. You know? Why aren't you slamming down an 18 pack after work and, you know, waking up and having a couple shots, get yourself right and then go to work. 
you know, why aren't you doing that? You don't like to have fun, you know, and you, you realize now that that wasn't fun. That was torture. You know, uh, that was well, a pain. lot of it comes from pain. A lot of that comes from the pain we experience. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times, you know, I would, I tried reaching out to like, you know, my aunts and uncles, a couple of them, you know, and I would be so drunk that they would be, you know, I don't want to listen to this guy, you know, and I don't blame them, you know, but, uh, you know, you get to that point where, you know, nobody wants to listen to you because you're drunk or on or you're high all the time. And then who do you have to turn to? You got, you got nobody. And if you got nobody, then what the hell's the point of being here? You know, the relationships are, are, you know, one of the, one of the other things that I hit on in my book, um, you know, when you have no relationships with people or the relationship you have with them is one of anger and, and hate, um, that you, you just don't want to be around. And, uh, you know, as, as an alcoholic, um, you isolate yourself to that point. I mean, you put yourself there and then you don't want to be there. You know, and was that your primary poison of choice, alcohol? Yeah, I was definitely a, uh, an alcoholic, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Uh, I stopped. I really stopped doing the drugs hard when I was probably 25, 26. And that was because of the DUIs. And and then I, I got myself straight for college and uh, baseball. But then once that was gone and those relationships were gone, then it was back to, you know, I got hired right out of college to, uh, to run a service uh, department. And... I didn't know how to run, manage people. You what know, do you I, service department? What was it? Um, my dad has always been in like the, the tractor trailer uh, industry, transportation. Um, and he was the general manager of a trailer company and he needed, uh, he needed help. And he asked me if I'd be willing to, you know, try it and work for him. And that's what I did. And I had, I had no business having that job, you know, none. Uh, I thought I knew things, but um, I didn't know how to manage people. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to run a service department. Uh, you know, I, I was just there for the check, you know, did I learn a lot, you know, as I went? Yeah, I did. You know, eventually I got to the point like where I am now, where I could step into that role and have and be running a, a great department within a matter of eight, eight to nine months. But after the eight to nine months, you know, I would be 
I would do something to torpedo that job. You know, um, just recently, you know, uh, in 2019, you know, I, I torpedo, I was doing great at this job up here in Vermont and I just got drunk and then I, I couldn't stop drinking and they were tired of me calling in sick. And then I went in there and I told the boss, you know, F you, you know, or I don't even know what I all told him, but he gave me my papers, you know, and said, see you later, you know, and that's what led me to, you know, the, the suicide attempt and going to the hospital and, you know, rehab, you know, that whole event. Um, but prior to that, you know, I was running from state to state because I could get the, I could get a job running a shop, but I'd only have it for a little while. Never last a year. <laughs> so after that and all the stress, there was a suicide attempt. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, yeah, it was uh, uh, February, the beginning of February in 2019. Uh, I had lost lost the job. Um, the girlfriend at the time, you know, I, we weren't right anyway, but she decided, you know, she had moved to Vermont with me from uh, Illinois. And she's like, I'm going, I'm going, I'm getting away from this guy. You know, he's crazy. And she left, you know, and then I was just, you know, I, I didn't stop drinking, you know. Um, and then I got into the hard stuff and uh, really, really hard. You know, I, I used to, you know, I always thought I was cool because I'd keep my, you know, tequila in the freezer just have like five or six shots a night and that was good you know but i have that with an 18 pack too <laughs> you know so when and you I, say the hard stuff you mean liquor or was it drugs uh liquor mainly you know uh i uh was uh trying uh the dabs you know that come in the vape okay. um, that was a big thing here in vermont and uh you know, the the landlord where I lived, you know, they were wanting their money because I hadn't paid them. Um, so I sat down one night and I said, well, this is it. You know, I'm done out of here. And uh, I went into the bathroom and I, I tried to saw my hand off. You know, um, I don't know how, but I wound up at the hospital. Uh, I think it was my neighbor had a lot to do with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they had to repair tendons in there. Uh, how far, like once you attempted that, like, if you don't mind me asking, you get a little, I don't know if it's too gruesome, but how far did you get in on your, was it a, surface cut or did you really no I took you the knife deep. and I went straight down <clears throat> okay took the knife went straight down okay and then once I was in I just started sawing and uh 
you know, blood was going everywhere in the bathtub. And, you know, I, I remember it, that part, you know, um, it was just a, the bathtub was filling with blood and I passed out. Um, Who found you? Uh, my neighbor had called the police because they thought there was uh, something on fire in my apartment. I don't know if they heard me scream. Because I know when I when I went straight down, I know I screamed. Um, but uh, nobody's really told me what happened, you know, which is fine. Um, so I was sitting in Vermont, you know, a state that I'd only been in for eight months, nine months, you know, and uh, sitting in a psych ward. And, you know, I called my parents and, you know, they drove from Illinois all the way straight up to Vermont to see me. And uh, they told me the best thing for me was to stay there. I wanted to leave. And you know, they're like, eh, I don't think so. And that's when uh, we had a big meeting with the doctor. And that's when he kind of hit me with that uh, cup thing. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how or what happened, but uh, my parents, you know, they cleaned out my apartment, took everything back to Illinois left me with a garbage bag of clothes. And, and the cup thing, if I'm not, the cup things, the doctor gave you some advice. Yeah, uh, you know, we're, I was meeting with the doctor and my, my parents uh, to discuss, you know, what's, what's going to be the plan here? And I was like, I, I don't have a plan. You know, in my mind, I was like, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to figure out something different. I'm going to be dead. You know, um, I, I had no, I, my thought process was I just need to figure out how to act good enough so that they let me out. And I actually have a way to, to finish the job. You know, um, that's where my head was. Uh, like I said, uh, my uh, doctor, you know, uh, had mentioned, uh, he said, you're kind of looking at things, you know, half and half. And I, I made the comment to him, you know, like, you know, your cup's half full. Well, fuck you. I'm tired of hearing shit like that. And he said, no, Kirk. He said, uh, you don't even have a fucking cup. <laughs> and I was like, wow. That's the first thing somebody's ever said to me that actually made sense. That's, that's, a, that's a profound statement to make you think, really makes you think. Yeah, it was, a, it was a light bulb moment, you know. And... I told my parents, I'm good with you guys giving me a garbage bag and a couple hundred dollars. Leave. I guess I got to figure this out on my own. I got to figure out, you know, what I want in life or who I am, you know, because 
is the, the way I was living, you know, I, I didn't want, I just didn't want to be alive. Um, you know, uh, so they left and I had nothing. I didn't know anybody in Vermont that, that liked me, you know, everybody I knew was at that job. And, you know, they only hung out with me or liked me because I was their boss. You know, as soon as I wasn't their boss, they're gone, you know, but, uh, it, it was a, it was a defining moment in my life when that doctor said that, um, I, I, I took the 30 days in the psychiatric unit and really thought about, you know, what did I actually like when I was a kid? You know, what did I want to do, you know? And I, I wanted to be a teacher. And uh, that wasn't going to work because I'm a felon. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a degree in psychology, social psych, and um, I, had no, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I knew I wanted to, you know, um, really think on what can I do with that degree and uh, it just so happened you know I looked at those letters and I thought to myself I think I can write the book that I've always been talking about and that's where that all took off you know um, I started documenting you know, my days in that unit. And then so you, you were in the ward while you came to this conclusion that you could use uh, the stuff for your book. Or yeah, I mean, you... that was, you know, what I thought about, you know. And, okay. You know, uh, I don't, maybe you can relate to this. You, you know, when, when you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you think you have uh, the greatest ideas in the world. <laughs> I, Yes, I can and absolutely relate to that. They're just a pipe dream, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, so you know, I I thought about, you know, I think I have this, you know, but I didn't I didn't really know no until I started going to AA um when I was placed in the sober house. Uh then I knew I had something. And then I, that's when I started researching, you know, uh, do people write books the way I wrote this one? And I couldn't find one that's like it. And then, I, you know, um, my world took off, you know, when that doctor said something to me. And then I started following it, you know. I, I started looking at what do I want to do? And I had no idea. You said that you found nothing like yours. What was the format of yours? Well, I can tell you that, um, you know, the, the first 30 pages of it grab you. You know, that's what I've been told. Um, I document what I remember. I opened the, the book up with uh, 
when I was sitting on the couch and I decided I was going to use a butcher knife to kill myself. And I took the reader through, you know, what was going on inside me at that time. You know, what I had seemingly thought I lost everything. Um, and then the, and then the cutting, you know, cause I remember the cutting. I just don't remember what happened afterwards. You know, um, but I remember how bad it hurt every time I would slice through, you know, it stung like it, a pain I've never felt before. And, you know, that's how I opened that book. You know, that was chapter one. And chapter two was when I woke up in that in the hospital. You know, and that first 10 hours in the hospital. And after that chapter, then there's no, then it, the next phase of the book is letter number one to my son, Eldon. And uh, that's when I started writing to him and telling him, you know, I'm gonna write you these letters about my life. And I hope you read them like, you know, when you're 15, 16 and realize you don't wanna go down the road that your dad did. But I want you to know that, you know, I wanted him to know that his father went through a lot of shit. And that's the reason that I, I was like that or like that, you know, like this. So um, I wanted him to know that, uh, you know, when bad things happen, the best thing to do is to reach out. You're not weak because you reach out, you're strong. You know, um, and I, I, I wanted him to know me, my heart. And so I started writing him a letter every day. And those letters go, they go in parallel with my stay at the hospital, rehab, and my time at the sober house. So it goes uh, a chapter and a letter, a chapter, then another letter and they parallel each other all the way through until the end where I tell them I'm a, I'm a year sober. I never made it 30 days unless, uh, you know, it was court ordered. Um, I'm looking at life through a completely different lens. Um, you know, so you and, you attribute the writing letters to keeping you clean? You think that the, just writing these letters kept your conscience kind of clean and helped you stay sober? Is that what you're thinking? Well, yeah, I think it was, um, you know how people, you know, they go to therapy. Like I have a therapist that I see right now. I've been seeing her since or for almost three years. Um, you never, you never give them all that raw emotion. You know, you tell them stuff, 
but you never tell them, you know, how bad it really hurts inside or, you know, how, how something's really bothering you. You know, you hint on it, but you never really get into it. And when I was writing the letters, like I got into all that emotion, you know, the, the sexual abuse, the being different, you know, with my, my notes um, and the, the pain that you go through. And, you know, um, I wanted him to know, you know, it's okay to be different. Don't do the things I did, you know, and struggle with it. You know, talk to your teachers, talk to your mom, talk to your grandparents. You know, don't be afraid to tell people what's going on inside you because that is real strength. Uh, the weakness is when you hide from it and you create an excuse. And that, you know, I wanted him to know those real feelings and actually have a, a realistic outlook on how to go through life, you know, not the cookie cutter one that, uh, you know, you're taught in school, you know, in school, they, they, don't, they don't ever teach you about real life situations. No, they don't. I mean, even with that D.A.R.E. program, it really wasn't anything special that would actually impact you enough later in life, you know? No, oh, you know, I mean, you know, I, I never thought about D.A.R.E. once when I was in the, you know, the psych unit or, you know, at the sober house, you know, D.A.R.E. wasn't there. It was, uh, it was a whole lot of different education that was there. You know, it was uh, the real stuff, finding out, you know, who you are inside. You know, and and then being okay with that, but you know, having a vision of something different, you know, something that uh, that you can be proud of. You know, you don't have to save the world or anything like that. You know, but do something with your life that your conscience is clear, and you know, you feel you've made a difference in somebody else's life. That's how I, I talked to my son in those letters. You know, I talked to him with, I think the things that I want, I, I wanted to hear when I was his age is those type of things. Um, not, you know, not American history or, you know, math problems. Um, the, the real things, you know, cause I mean, if, if you ain't right inside, you're never going to be right outside. You know? um, yeah, people don't realize a lot of people, I mean, especially addicts, we need to look deep inside it. Like you said, keep a clear, clear conscience, no resentments, yeah. things like that. I, you know, identify our fears. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not going to say it's easy because it's not, you know, um, uh, it's, it's actually harder, uh, I think, to uh, look inside yourself and, and really examine yourself. It's harder to do than to just ignore it and go through everyday life. Um, 
it might be harder, but at the end, I think you have a better understanding of how you want to live your life and, you know, how you want to impact not just yourself, but other people in a positive way. You know, um, I've been applying for the, this job at the hospital for two years. The last two years of my my life, I have been applying there, and I just now got the job. What was the the <laughs> reason leading up to it? Was it the felony holding you back? Um, no, they they just never thought I had uh, I had no experience in the in the field. Um, you know, I realized, you know what I wanted to do with my life was to try to help other people. And where I got the help that I needed was in the hospital on a psychiatric unit, you know, and, you know, not, not only the doctor helping me the way he did, the people that were inside that unit, they were just, they were, they cared about you. And, uh, so the, the, there's a job, you know, the mental health technician, you know, you just help the people that are in there. And uh, I, I was applying for it and I would always get told, you know, you, you need some experience. That's why you're not getting hired. And I was like, well, I'm not going to become a nurse or anything, you know, uh, not with my background in felony. That ain't going to fly. So I, I went to uh, uh, a recovery coach academy and uh, I got certified to be a recovery coach in the state of Vermont. And I use that along with uh, my experience as, in life. And I wrote the recruiter a huge letter saying, look, I, I, I've been on this job for two years I, I've done these things to try to make it more appealing for you to hire me just give me a chance to interview and I, I finally got the interview and thank Thanksgiving and I just now got the official word that I'm officially hired today oh you did yeah <laughs> I mean it, it was uh it was you know they told me last week they said, uh, you're hired. And then last night they call me and say, well, your background check came through a little late and there's a lot on there. DUIs, felony, DUI. And I talked to him just like I'm talking to you right now and told him, look, I went through a lot of stuff as a kid, uh, a, lot of, a lot of trauma. A lot, of, a lot of pain. And uh, that, I think, is worth more to helping somebody than whether or not my degree I can put on the wall and have no experience. You yeah, first-hand first experience dealing with stuff like that could kind of be priceless. Yeah, and... They, they told me, they're like, well, we'll call you tomorrow after we make a decision. And uh, <laughs> sorry about that. No, yeah. drink away. 
they uh they they called me and told me that we're gonna move forward based on the conversation that we had because of how open and honest you were with them with the, the my future boss um she said she never heard anything like that you know and that's why they decided to move forward and it's not a high paying job you know you know it's 16 17 bucks an hour I was making twice that doing what I normally do in life or what I used to do. Yeah. You know, and I had the money where I didn't have any happiness. And uh, it's totally different now. Now I think now I have the happiness and I'm just going to go to work and help people. And I can afford to, you know, because sobriety has given me now this job but more, more importantly i met a wonderful woman a couple of years back and a couple of years ago and you know uh, we're going to be getting married in may um congratulations thank you thank you um and that's my this is my first real real relationship where you know she talks to me about paying the bills you know, and what do you want to do? Because she, she's divorced. She has two kids, you know. What do you want to do with the kids this week? Well, I want to do as much as I can with them. I hang out with them, like, all the time, you know. And, you know, they ask sometimes why I have to leave to go to meetings. And I tell them the truth. You know, I did a lot of wrong things when I was young. And, uh that led me to uh, to a very painful place. And I go to those meetings so that I can be here and give you everything that I have inside. So you find the going to the meetings for beneficial. So what do you go to? You go to AA? I, I go to AA. I go, I go to a, a, like a, it's a brown bag meeting. You know, it's every day. It's at noon. Um, it's a different format every day. Uh, I don't go every day anymore. Um, I go like probably three times a week and sometimes four. Um, but, uh, when I first got to that sober house, you know, um, I went every single day, you know, for 365 days in a row every day. And sometimes I'd go to a meeting at night too. You know, um, I, I just surrounded myself with uh, people that have been in my shoes and could help me get through what I was getting through, going through. Um, you know, and you know, now I just want to be able to help people that are coming out of rehab. And, um, it's great at AA, but uh, I want to be on the ground floor, you know, um, so I can be there for somebody that's going through the same thing as I went through. You know, I can be empathetic and sympathetic at the same time, you know, and 
and I think that I think it's going to be a pretty powerful thing for for me. Um, and when I say powerful, I mean like like a great feeling inside. You know, I get a great feeling helping another alcoholic. You know, in AA or as a recovery coach. Um, you know, that's why that's why I try to do things. You know, because the reward is just simple gratitude yeah. and that's the one thing that those alcoholics back in 1939 or 35 when they started figured out was that somehow one alcohol talking to another or just one addict talking to another can be priceless it is better than therapist than your own family member because nobody actually gets it until you talk to someone and oh. we, we're kind of proof of that oh yeah definitely i mean what you're doing right now that is it's amazing thing so it's amazing stuff you know and you know um i'd be happy to talk to you anytime yeah. uh you know um but uh even if you just help one person or we help one person through this interview it's worth every minute you know yeah. i can give up an hour and a half two hours if it, if it helps one person um, yeah, I mean, that's why we do these things, because like you said, I hope you never know when someone just listens to a story and they just click with that one story and yeah. it really helps, you know, it, like you said, this is important stuff, you know, writing your book along these lines, that's because you're trying to literally sometimes save someone's life. So like what you did is a big responsibility. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I've had people that I don't even know. And they come up to me in a meeting and they thank me for the book. And I don't know who you are, but you're welcome. Yeah. You know, um, thank you for telling me. You know, uh, I, I, I've been getting that more and more. And, you know, I haven't, I, I did a really crappy job um, uh, promoting the book. Um, my publisher kind of went in a different angle than I wanted to go, but, um, you know, they gave me the freedom to kind of try to do what I want to do because I thought my book would be more valuable to people like, uh, uh rehab centers. Um, yep. you know, things of that nature, you know, and they went into a self-help, you know, way of thinking, but, but that's just because, you know, you know, uh, People still don't, they still don't get it, how big of a problem this actually is. You know, no, I don't think they realize the scope of it. And, and they're, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to say, you know, that they're bad or anything like that, because um, they're not, you know, they're trying to do what they think, what they have the knowledge of. And that knowledge is generally, it isn't based on, anything that has actually happened in their life it's based on a program that they think will be good you know they have yeah. no real proof of it you know so it's uh it's tough you know um it's tough to to you know i've you know i've had three people that i went that i knew through in that hospital um that are dead suicide 
you know. Um, I, I know people from, you know, past rehabs that are dead, you know, uh, and it's, it's scary. You know, I'm just one person and I know seven people that have died. Wow. You know, and you know, what are we doing to try to help that? I don't, A lot of I don't things know. need to change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, where do you start, you know, now? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's right there. That's the question. That is yeah. the question. Because like we said, you know, it should be a looked at as a health issue and getting people better. I don't know if you want to call it a medical issue, not however if you want to phrase it. But right now, it's, it's a criminal thing. And yeah. like, one thing that I actually heard that at first I didn't agree with, but now I'm kind of leaning more towards it is did you know that i think it's oregon they decriminalized all drugs yeah just like yeah. portugal portugal started it maybe 10 years ago um but they decriminalized it all so if you have it just for personal use you don't get arrested obviously if you are selling it and have a lot of it for both you know reasons yeah. then you get arrested but other than that you don't you just get a fine and it's nothing yeah. crazy but their rates have not gone up. They don't have more addicts now. They don't have more deaths now. They don't have more disease like, you know, HIV, AIDS, um, hepatitis C. So it's actually kind of working. Well, and then they, <clears throat> the neat thing about that, and, and I love that you brought that up. Um, it's, it's amazing. They took all that money that they were spending. Yep. And put it into programs to help people like us get back on our feet you know find our way in life and you know make something of their life you know um and just think of the thousands and millions of dollars that they're putting into that oh know? yeah the, the quote-unquote war against drugs yeah you know um it's expensive yeah it is expensive you know and if, i mean if we would follow that model, I think you'd see a lot less, you know, yeah. the Portugal model. But, um, you know, most people don't know about that because they're not. I didn't even know about it until like, I think, a month ago, maybe two months. I, I had heard it on a TED talk. And then I, then I actually looked it up, you know, to see what it was all about. And I was like, wow, you know. They put money into housing, giving people, you know, an apartment and helping them, teaching them how to pay bills, yeah. how to budget your money. You know, I didn't know how to do that. I had money in my pocket. I threw it, you know, to what I wanted. You know, um, and then I was always broke. <laughs> Wondered why. Yep. You know, um, you know, giving them education, you know, to uh, learn a trade or a job, you know, it, it's amazing because they have unlimited resources now to help rehabilitate people instead of locking them up. And it's working. Exactly. And that's, it's hard for a government to turn around and just say kind of, oops, we made a mistake. This shouldn't have been like this this entire time. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? It is. I mean, they're, we're so invested in criminalizing everything now that uh, it's hard to 
fail. Well, now we want to do this, you know, because we think this might be the right path. When do they even really know? You know, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult spot, you know, but it's one, you know, that I hope they figure out someday. Um, for me, all I know is I can only do what I can do. And that's just to try to, you know, be a person that's there now for people and, and help. You know, that's I what I was going to ask you. My next question is going to be, what are you doing nowadays? How do you keep yourself sober? Did you have any advice for the listeners? Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time in service. Um, you know, I chair a couple of meetings a week. Um, I, I go to a couple of meetings a week, you know, um, I do things with people that are sober, you know, everybody, th- you know, people kind of think it's funny, you know, oh, I don't want to go out and eat dinner with these people and sit around and talk. All they do is talk about, you know, recovery, you know, but when you actually go and hang out with them, so it's amazing what they have starts to rub off on you. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's important for me to to be there for others like others were there for me. Um, so that helps keep me sober. Um, really, you know, I, I reconnected with my family. Um, I, I actually have a couple of friends that, you know, I, if I was in a pinch, I wouldn't ask them for help. You know, but, uh, you know, if I needed help, you know, moving a refrigerator or something, maybe I'll come over and help, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I can do things with my kids. I say my, because uh, they become like my, my children, you know, um, I I find time to, uh, to journal still. I, I think that uh, why it sounds like, um, you know, just writing in a book uh, doesn't help it. For me, it helps immensely because I get to get those feelings that are on the inside out. You know, and once they're out, then I can actually look at them and deal with them. That's a great way of seeing it. Yeah, because... When, when you have things, I don't know, I'll ask you this. When you have things, you know, that are going on inside you and you're just sitting there thinking about them in your head, you know, it's hard to come to a conclusion because you've got so much going on in your head. Okay, I, I agree with that, yeah. You know, I mean, does that happen with you at all? You know, when you're thinking on a problem and it's just, you know, is it all in your head, that the solutions, you know? Do you journal? Um, I don't journal anymore. I used to, but the truth is I've just been so busy with this. You know, this is yeah. what keeps me sober. You know, I work full time, but on my days off, I'm doing the podcast, you know, doing the YouTube videos, um, which is obviously the same thing now. But um, yeah, I work on stuff like that. I'm, as you know, I'm writing. Yeah. I would say this is your journal. This is true. Um you know, this is going to be my life journal of what I've done and what I've accomplished. You know, I'm hoping just like you, I'm hoping it reaches people. 
That's yeah. that's the whole point of Addicts Anonymous is we want to reach as many different addicts as possible and help them provide resources, literature and things like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe maybe we just have to look at uh, as alcoholics and addicts, you know, just to, to stay sober, you know, find find what you can do in life that. Uh, you know, that you give to others and it helps you stay sober. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if I've quoted this before on the show, but the Dalai Lama says it best. He goes, some people are selfish, but if you're going to be selfish, do something that helps other people that makes you feel good at the same time. And the way he compares it is, I don't know if you're, I live in New York or in New Jersey and I worked in New York. So I saw a lot of homeless people and every now and then, as I passed, most of the time, I would actually give them a dollar or whatever change I had in my pocket. But then there were times where I didn't do it. And I look back, like when I'm getting the bus and go, oh, I should have gave that guy a dollar. Yeah. And the thing is, because it would have made me feel better. Right. But now that I'm being selfish to make myself feel better, I'm also helping someone else. And the Dalai Lama calls that wise selfish. So this, this, this is my high. This is what gets me going, talking to people like you. Like I said, Brighton trying to release stuff, you know, as far as you know, our step guides and things like that, worksheets. Yeah, it's it's really good what you're doing. And, you know, I thank you for having me speak with you on here. Um, you know, um, I, I'd love to collaborate on a few things. Uh, if you, you know, um, in the future, uh, and you know it's it's just it's it's been a really good uh you know what's it been a really solid hour just sitting yeah. here talking yeah you, know, it, you, you had a great story and i i mean you know gotta thank you mostly for coming on the show hey I, i'm happy to do it for you happy um you know we'll, we'll see what happens you know and yeah we're gonna get this out to make sure people hear this and all that so while you're while we're talking real quick before we come to an end you want to plug the book where it's available things like that and uh, you want to say about the book specifically for our listeners sure uh the book is called uh, doing dishes uh you can find it at uh barnes and noble um target uh not walmart thank you um yeah, you know, a couple of bookstores up here in the Northeast are carrying it, but, uh, you know, really Barnes and Noble and Amazon has it, uh, you know, that's the new, uh, shopping. So yeah, it was a lot good of to do Amazon. Yeah. It was good to have them aboard. Um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, if you read it, you know, you're, you're not going to have the same story that I have. You know, but there's going to be feelings in that story that you're going to be able to relate to. And hopefully that you can get some clarity to those feelings by reading it. You know, um, that, that's my only plug I have for it, really. You know, uh, you know, I'm working on a second book right now. Um, that's great. Yeah, I'm really, really... Uh, really excited about it because it's uh it's it's going to be a lot different now because now it's you know how do you maintain what you have there you go. that's true once you get sobriety how do you keep it going that's why i was asking before what you do but it, 
seems like you said a lot of service work and giving back. A lot, a lot of service work, and I do a lot of writing. You know, and when I can't write, I walk the dogs, and I'll, I'll walk them for hours, and just talk to my phone, and record it. And you know, does does this make sense? Nope. <laughs> you know, move on. But uh, you know, I I find uh, you know that very therapeutic. Um, so there, there's a lot of things people can do. You know. Um, and, and people are, people in general are, are talented people at something, you know, but uh, I feel like, you know, you got to do, don't, don't do what you think you should be doing. Do what makes you happy, you know, do it, you know, do it, do something you're passionate about. Yep. You know? Cause I think then you'll get the most uh, rewarding sobriety that you can. Absolutely. That's uh that's that's my goals in a nutshell, you know. Yeah, they're good goals. So so I want to thank you for coming on the show today. It was I think we had a great interview. How do you feel? I feel really good. Really good. You know, it was a it was a good talk, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, it was great. Um, so for our listeners, if you could click below, give us a like. Also, we are available or also subscribe to us, don't forget that. So this is going to be available here on YouTube a little bit later. It's also going to be available on Spotify as far as a podcast. We're also on iTunes, um, Breaker, and a bunch of other platforms, Anchor as well. And check us out. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And we also have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And we also just started Patreon, but that's something later on we'll talk about. But once again, thank you to all our listeners. And until next time. Thank you.